Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Wednesday, June 9th. On today's show, game one of the Jazz Clippers series and the emotionality of sports. Before we get there, a little bit of cleanup business. Uh, This show can now be consumed on an app. You can get it anywhere, Roku, Amazon, iOS, Android. If you search for the Beehive TV, it's simple, it's free, you download it. You can get this show whenever it comes out, uh, push notification if you want it, all that kind of stuff. Please download, please help spread the word about No Baller. Uh, as we always begin this show, I'll do the same thing today with a tidbit about why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night, uh, I'm up at Jazz Clippers, and I know it's going to be an incredible game, which I'll get to on the other side. Uh, but I also love gambling, and I want some bets on the game, and I lean really heavy into Royce O'Neal prop bets because the thinking is he's got to be out there to soak up a lot of minutes with Kawhi and Paul George on the floor. So I'm taking Royce O'Neal every single prop bet under the sun. I got over six and a half points. I got over 15 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. I got over one and a half three-pointers made. And he hits two of the three. And he's doing all the little Royce O'Neal things, the stuff that you kind of notice if you pay attention to the fringes, but don't necessarily jump off the screen. And I'm there in the crowd in the midst of this uh, boiling cauldron of emotion that was Vivint Smart Home last night. And I'm fist pumping every Royce O'Neal rebound and every assist that he's swinging to a corner person. And it was just a great reminder uh, why gambling should be legal in Utah, because even in the midst of such an emotionally charged environment where so many people cared about this basketball game, Uh, Having these bets out made me care even more. Um, And now, a word from our sponsor. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Lots of conflicting emotions for me here today. Uh, As those of you who listen to this show know, uh, I follow the Utah Jazz closely. As I stated at the top of the episode, I was there last night. I was so fired up for this game. Jazz Clippers, an incredible matchup. So many different things that go into this. And I was so fired up to watch this game. Simultaneous to this, uh, my favorite hockey team, the Colorado Avalanche, a team that last won a Stanley Cup 20 years ago, and then I have a lot of hope in my heart could do the same this year. They're playing an enormous Game 5. Their series is tied 2-2 against Vegas. And these two things are playing out uh, together. The Avalanche, they face off at 7. The Jazz are going at 8. So I'm monitoring on my phone what's going on with the Avalanche. Uh, and as this third quarter of the Jazz game is really bubbling over and turning into truly uh, an all-time memory that I'll have forever, uh, the Avalanche are losing in overtime. So I check my phone and I see the score blip. 3-2 Vegas, final, overtime. And I feel that pain that I go, oh, I'm going to have to process this at some time. And indeed I will on tomorrow's show. Because... These are going to be two episodes that work in conjunction with one another about the emotionality of sports and how you have to experience both sides of it because they enrich the entire experience. Uh, And the valleys suck, and you go through them way more times than you go through the peaks. But they help you understand why the peak is so meaningful. So I compartmentalize last night, and I say, I can't deal with this right now. Uh, This basketball game is going in front of me, and... 
it seems like something special is happening. And indeed, I push it to the side and something special does happen. Uh, These highs and these lows that come from just watching sports, you can't really explain it to just a, a casual passerby. And I'll talk about it all the time with people in my life or, or indeed casual passerbys. And they go, why do you care so much about this? And I go, I don't really know. Uh, it could be because I grew up in it and it's threaded throughout my life uh, as part of my childhood and into adulthood. It could just be because that's the way that I'm wired. I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those things that you don't question when something makes you feel this passionately. Uh, you just take it and you go, this is a gift. This is a way of experiencing life in a very full manner. So last night's Utah Jazz game uh, was this to a T. Game one of the Western Conference semis. And for the first time since the pandemic lockdown, we have a full house at a place that can go just absolutely ballistic. And so that's part of uh, the fire that's stoking me going to the game because I've been there before in these situations. Uh, Full playoff crowd. I know the emotional intensity that is a part of that. Uh, It's just, it's a true craving within my soul to be a part of that and to feel it. And I know that there's going to be a lot of venom in the crowd towards the Clippers because they're not a likable team and we have playoff P coming back. And that's always a fun thing to get on his case. And we know the past and the present and the future of the Utah Jazz. We followed that. I've talked about it relentlessly on this show. People who live in this area, they understand what this playoff run means to this franchise because it's a team without a title. They came close, very close, multiple times. Uh, Most notably, the two NBA Finals appearances against Jordan and the Bulls. There's been 20-plus years since then, uh, a decent amount of lean years, and now this upward trend of hope. And we're in a season that is as tumultuous an NBA season as I can remember. And the Jazz are there, and they're deep. And they have star power, and they have three-point shooting. And if you've watched them this season, and if you've watched this tumultuous NBA season, you can always arrive at a place where you go, hmm, with the right breaks, with the right luck, with the right progression from these certain players, this team could do uh, something really special this year. So everybody understands that. The past. They understand uh, the future and what it means to watch a team grow together, what it means to watch a young star like Donovan Mitchell trend upwards. That's something, again, that I've talked about relentlessly on this show. It's really cool to watch uh, an upward arc of a player in a team and think we haven't seen the peak of it yet. This is the emotionality of sports. This is why when you follow closely and understand all of these things, it enriches the experience. And it turns just a a basketball game that anybody could have been in the crowd last night and said, this is a moment. This is a really cool thing. All these people are fired up. It turns into something more. Uh, It turns into something that you remember for the rest of your life if you're somebody like me. Uh, It's just being in that crowd, I I won't forget what's going on in the second half of that game. So the Jazz win by three, 112-109. And it was not easy by any means. Uh, 
because the first half was, it was disastrous for the Jazz. It's announced earlier in the day that Mike Conley will not be playing. He tweaks his hamstring in game five against Memphis. And knowing Mike Conley's history, I don't know if it's realistic to expect a lot from him against the Clippers. This is an injury that doesn't go away. It never really has for him. And even if he comes back, I don't know how much you can expect from Mike Conley. So you shift your focus as a Jazz fan. You shift your focus as the Jazz. You say, here are the players that we have. What can we do? Joe Ingles moves into the starting lineup. Let's go. Uh, We have depth. We still have star power. And we're going to have to go about our business in the same but slightly different manner than we normally do. So the first quarter, the Jazz go ice cold. Uh, they missed 20 consecutive field goals at one point. The Clippers are going on a 22-2 run. I'm there in the crowd, and, and I think all the people there are feeling the same way. And I'm sure every Jazz fan at home is feeling the same way. You're waiting for anything, I mean anything, to grasp onto. Because you know it's a full house. You know what this game means. You know what a win in game one over the Clippers without Conley would mean. And it would set the tone for belief in this team. We can do this. We can beat this team. We can beat a team in the next round. We can beat another team. Belief, it's constantly evolving. Uh, you can have it in spades at the start of the playoffs, and then you face adversity and you go, ah, maybe we are not what we thought we were. So game one is huge for that. You go against Kawhi and Paul George and you say, if we can beat them in game one, especially without Mike Conley, that is an incredible boost for our emotion and for belief uh, that this team is what we think it is. So they missed 20 consecutive field goals. Clippers, 22-2 to two run. And the crowd is just thirsting for anything. Just give me something to believe in. Uh, Jordan Clarkson hits two enormous threes at the end of the first quarter just to keep the Jazz afloat. So we're there between the first and the second quarter. The Jazz are down seven, 25 to 18. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm talking uh, with the people that I'm there with, and I go, this is about the best case scenario for the Jazz because you won't see them play worse offense in a quarter, and it's a seven-point game. I watched the television broadcast this morning, and it's showing Donovan Mitchell going around to his teammates between the first and the second quarter, and he's going, hey, we held this team to 25 points. Uh... Keep playing defense like this. If we do that, we're fine. Our shots are going to fall. We're not going to miss 20 consecutive field goals again, probably in our entire existence. It's almost impossible to do. Uh, you know, trust the process. We're getting good looks. Those will fall eventually. Keep playing this level of defense that we're playing, and then we go from there. It's, it's the give yourself one thing to hold on to. In the first quarter for the Jazz, it's that we gave up 25 points. You move into the second quarter, and it's still a struggle. Uh, the Clippers, they play much better offense. Luke Kennard, somehow out of the blue, has made this star turn. He, he gives him enormous boost off the bench in Game 7 against the Mavericks, and he carries over in Game 1. And he's swishing these threes. He's getting into these pull-up jumpers. He's carrying their offense in the second quarter. And you're just sitting there in the crowd again going, just give me anything. Nick Batum bangs home a three right at the first half buzzer. Uh, and the Clippers are up 60-47 to 47 going into the half. It's just kind of the deflation. That if you've ever been a part of a, a really pumped-up playoff crowd, you feel and you understand because everybody has the same hopes and desires for what this game will be. And the first half was the opposite of that. 
there were brief little blips, you know, these Clarkson threes, just the Jazz trying to get anything going and then immediately squelched by a Kennard three or squelched by Kawhi getting a bucket. And, and so you go into halftime and you regroup. Uh, and you say, okay, we're gasping for air. Uh, this crowd is, is gasping for anything. They, they just want even the slightest spark to fan the flames, to tap into that emotion that everybody wants, that watches sports and values sports and loves following a team over the course of years. Uh, just give me a spark. So Donovan Mitchell, uh, he leads the charge. If you go back and listen to my takeaways from game five of the Memphis series, the number one theme of the episode was Donovan Mitchell's ceiling is the ceiling of the Utah Jazz. Uh, and I firmly believe, believe that. I believed it then, as I talked about for probably 20 minutes within that show. And yesterday is a showcase of why I believe that. Because when things are tough in the playoffs, sometimes it's as simple as we just need somebody to be the best player on the floor on our team. Who can we trust in to do that? Uh, and for the Jazz, it's Mitchell. Who can we get the ball to in an isolation-heavy environment and say, go and get us buckets? We are gasping for air on offense. We missed 20 consecutive field goals in the first half at one point. Our shot has not been falling. Uh, how can we mitigate that? How can we start chipping away at this 13-point deficit? How can we get this crowd going? How can we get our team as a whole going? And sometimes it's as simple as going to Donovan Mitchell and saying, hey, you're our guy, and your ceiling is our ceiling. And if we go down with you, then we feel good about that. Because when you put the ball in your best player's hand and they don't perform, you don't feel the same way about that as you do when they're just not there. Uh, I never feel bad about a star going down in flames. I say, we went down with our best player trying. So you give the ball to Donovan Mitchell and the start of the second half. Uh, it, it's the start of something special that really bore out over those two quarters. 10 points to start the half. And it's the spark. He goes and he drives. He gets a layup. Next possession, just a truly filthy step back through his legs as Reggie Jackson is running the other way, and he's so flummoxed by what Mitchell just did that now Mitchell's wide open, and he sets his feet, and he swishes a three. And the crowd starts bubbling because we sense, all right, we've seen Donovan Mitchell scoring explosions before, and we know they happen like a microwave oven. They're not there, and you flick a switch, and the next thing you know, the Jazz offense is going ballistic because of this one guy. So we go to the next possession, and Mitchell's hitting a sidestep three. And now you really start to feel that swell of emotion. And you f start to feel that swell of something familiar that we know from last year's Nugget series and from past playoff performances, going back to his rookie season against Oklahoma City in the first round. We've seen this with Mitchell before. Spark plug score. Uh, a dude who can go and get his own shot uh, anywhere on the floor and do that even in these really high leverage playoff moments. Next possession, just this Donovan Mitchell slicing through people, 
double clutching at the rim, finishing, 10-point run just for himself. Now we got a ball game. And the spark has become a flame. People are now into it. Uh, and I'm standing up and I'm freaking out because I've compartmentalized the negative side of emotions that's tied into that Colorado Avalanche game. And I'm tapping into what I sense occurring. Uh, me in a big balloon jazz t-shirt, an XL orange, take note, playoff shirt that's 10 sizes too big for me. It's a nightgown. And I have a polo on underneath. I'm one of those doofus ass people that you see on TV in the crowd and you go, who the hell is that? That was me last night. Uh, and you just lean into it because you can sense that something is occurring that you're going to remember. And it's going to be really damn cool uh, when it reaches its peak. So Mitchell plays uh, one of the finest halves of basketball I've watched him play. He scores 32 points in the second half. He finishes the game with 45 points, 5 assists, 16 for 30 from the field, 6 for 15 from 3, 7 for 8 from the free throw line. He's relentless in the fourth quarter. Uh, the, the Clippers, they want Luke Kennard on the floor for his offense. The problem with that is the Jazz and Mitchell especially relentlessly sought that out in the pick and roll on the opposite end. Whoever he was guarding, get up here. Uh, it's that predatory pick and roll relationship that occurs within the playoffs that we've seen from so many great players. Who's the weakest defender on the floor? Get them the hell up here and I'm going to get them switched on to me and the team is either going to have to let me blow by him and then respond or they're going to have to send a double and I'm going to flip it out and now we're going to have advantageous numbers somewhere else. That's what Mitchell's doing throughout this second half. Uh, truly an incredible performance on a floor with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Donovan Mitchell is the best player. Think about that. I did an entire show on Monday just uh, gushing over Kawhi Leonard, one of the greatest playoff performers uh, that I've had the privilege to watch as a basketball fan. And Mitchell was the star that shone the brightest. There's two things that I want to read to you. Uh, the first comes from Tim McMahon of ESPN. This is before last night occurs. Mitchell has proved to be more than capable of carrying the Jazz offensively in the playoffs. His career postseason scoring average of 27.5 points per game ranks sixth all-time, minimum of 25 playoff games. He has averaged 33.5 points per game in the past two postseason and is surrounded by more shooting than ever, creating more space for him to work when he has to go one-on-one, -on -one, end quote. And then this, a tweet from Jeff Kerr of CBS. Donovan Mitchell in his last 12 playoff games, 413 points, 408 minutes, 34.4 points per game while playing 34 minutes per game. We started to see a pattern with Mitchell. It's the upward ascension. What I really, really went deep on after game five, uh, his first half explosion in that game, uh, 30 and 10 for the game. You just, you've continually seen it from him in his career. The ability to turn the microwave on and to carry the Jazz offense for large stretches and to force an opposing defense to say, we're doing all we can and it's not enough. Uh, the Clippers seem well-equipped to try and slow down Mitchell. Our, my worry going up, I'm speaking uh, with the people that I'm with as, as we're kind of driving up to the game. Uh, we're talking about the Conley injury and I go, it sucks because part of what makes the Jazz the Jazz is you can't, 
try to snuff out Mitchell the same way that you did in the past because there's other options. Uh, and Conley is a big part of that, uh, an alternate creator, an alternate scorer. And without him on the floor, it, it slightly takes that down a notch. Uh, and I feel like an opposing defense can concentrate a little bit more on Mitchell than they could without Conley on the floor. And yet that never came to be last night because Mitchell was so spectacular. Uh, and, it, and he carries the Jazz through the third and the fourth quarter uh, that were just the pinnacle of this emotionality that I'm continually referencing in this show. Uh, understanding the past and the present and the future of a team. Um, understanding what it is to be a part of a playoff basketball crowd that understands that uh, and leaning into this supercharge of emotion, being swept away by it. Uh, Mitchell's the one who's he's leading this charge. It's almost a kind of a spiritual ascension that occurs in these really high leverage games. Uh, and when you're part of it, it's, it's intoxicating, you know? Um, Mitchell scoring relentlessly. That's the fulcrum of the second half. It's the fulcrum of this emotional experience. But there's so much other things that go into it. Something that I always constantly preach on the show, you know, the razor-thin margins between winning and losing, we see that in the second half. And because we know the backstory of each of these players and this team, it enriches what we feel and why when we're on our feet and, and howling like insane people, why we're doing that. Derek Favors comes off the bench in the third quarter. Rudy's, he gets in a little foul trouble. And Favors has somehow tapped into this, I don't know if he made a deal with the devil, but a dude who looked a little bit old in the regular season, he's now giving the Jazz 12 to 15 vintage Derek Favors minutes per night. Uh, the third quarter, he's there. He's tapping out rebounds. He's pulling them down. Huge block on Zubots at the rim to force a jump ball that he then wins. Huge swat uh, throws Rajon Rondo out into the crowd and people are just losing their mind. This is at the middle part of the third quarter when the game is turning, when that 13-point deficit, it's being turned into an actual game. And now the Jazz have taken a lead for the first time, 72-71 on a Royce O'Neal layup. Uh, it's these margins. Derek Favors is a part of that. Jordan Clarkson, who could not buy a bucket for the first 11 minutes of the first quarter. Open three, clang, open three, clang. It seemed like it was going to be one of those Jordan Clarkson games, which you stomach because you know in a different game, he's just going to get white hot and win it by himself. He cans the two huge threes that I referenced at the end of the first quarter. And he does the same thing in the second half. Uh, the Jazz need a huge bucket. And Clarkson, the bench scorer, he's swishing a three from the corner. And he's pumping his fist and people are freaking the hell out. Because that's what it's... That's what being there and watching a game like this is about. Uh, it's knowing Jordan Clarkson's backstory, the cast-off, the dude that wasn't wanted in other situations that the Jazz took a chance on and traded for and said, you play a brand of basketball that not a lot of people love. Uh, shooters are going to shoot. Lean into that. We need that on our bench unit, uh, and we will stomach the nights that you go two for 18 because we know that sooner rather than later, it's not going to be that, and we need a spark plug score off the bench. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. He's giving the same type of effort uh, that Clarkson did. Effort. That was the reoccurring theme of this game for the Jazz. It carried them in the first half when the shot wasn't falling, and it, it turned the second half into this emotional experience. 
because everybody was flying. Everybody is jumping for loose balls. Uh, everybody is pumping their fists when, when things are going through. Bogdanovich is getting the spots and hitting his little Bogdanovich jumpers. Uh, and, and he's hitting a three-pointer to cap a 10-2 Jazz run to put him up by 10 that looked like, hey, we're pulling away in the fourth. It's 103-93. Let's put this game on ice. Bogdanovich is the one who catches it when Mitchell's white hot and he doesn't have a lot of time in the shot clock and he takes a look around and he just fires and he bangs it home and now he's fist pumping at center court and Vivint's going crazy. This is part of the experience. This is part of the razor-thin margin between winning and losing. This is part of why following this Jazz team is so damn fun because you understand all this stuff. Because you know the backstory. Uh, you know the past. You know the present. You know the future. Royce O'Neill, who I referenced in the gambling bit to start the episode. He was the epitome of every hustle play. Seemed like he was all over the floor from the get-go. Uh, he's helping limit Kawhi Leonard. Played admirable defense against one of the very best players the league has to offer. He's just... Everywhere, he's running around, he's jumping to the crowd, he's throwing the ball back, he's trying to bang it off of Luke Kennard's knee, he's getting fouled at the rim because he's just there grabbing offensive rebounds. Uh, he's catching the ball in transition, laying it up to give the Jazz a lead. It's just all of these hustle plays and all of the plays that we know and love from Royce O'Neal, who we've seen grow from just this dude on the very end of the Jazz bench into an integral piece of this team. A 3 and D player, uh, the dude who can rebound uh, very well for his position, who when you give him open threes, you trust now that he's going to make those because he's built that part of his game up. And he can catch the ball. He can swing it to an open man. He understands how to play within the confines of the Utah Jazz offense. We understand all this stuff. But then it circles back to the stars. Because in totality, this is what creates a, a team that can be a championship-level team, which, you know, I've said since before the playoffs began, I think the Jazz are that. Whether or not that happens, who knows? Uh, a lot of it's luck. <clears throat> a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time. Does our shot go in or out? But this team is a really good basketball team. And game one builds on that belief. And it builds on that belief because of Donovan Mitchell. And watching him outplay Kawhi and Paul George in the game. And knowing that we haven't seen the very best of Donovan Mitchell yet. That's what's so tantalizing about the dude. Uh, you just watch him and you go, how is he this young? How is he doing what he's doing? I felt the same way against Denver last year in the playoffs. When he's scoring 50 points in multiple games, I'm going, how is he doing this? He, he hasn't even come close to realizing his full potential. How is he doing this in the playoffs? And last night, it's a branch off the same tree. 45 points against the Los Angeles Clippers, who seem really well equip, uh, equipped to slow down what Mitchell wants to do. They're playing a small ball lineup that is supposed to be the bane of the Jazz existence. They're leaning on that to start the game. Marcus Morris at the five uh, and a lot of just switchable players. And they're leaning on that in the fourth quarter. And it doesn't matter because Mitchell is saying, bring it. Uh, Luke Kennard's out here. Get him out in the pick and roll. And you're either going to have to double or I'm going to go and I'm going to roast his ass. And we just see that again and again and again and again and again. And that's why the Jazz win last night. Because Mitchell is driving and 
slithering through three people at one point in, in the fourth quarter and laying up an uncontested layup. And I'm watching it going, how is he doing this? He just went through Luke Kennard and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And we haven't seen the best of him. Uh, all of this emotion uh, that stems from watching teams and players for a long time and then seeing it in the moment last night. It is the best. I always say, like I said at the top of the show, uh, when you find something that makes you feel like this, you don't question it. You lean into it. You say, give me more. Uh, I'll have to go through valleys as the Jazz have for you know the entire existence of their franchise. Uh, and they will go through more uh, probably within this playoffs. It's one game. Gives them a 1-0 lead. Uh, the belief that was there, it's now a little bit higher. Going to be a long series. Uh, the Clippers are not going to go anywhere. Um, but we already have this moment. That, that's something that doesn't go away. It's game one of the Clippers series. That even if you end up losing, you can point to moving forward and say, hey, we know Donovan Mitchell can be this. Let's build on that. The continual looking in the mirror and trying to answer questions about yourself and about your franchise. How do we become a championship team? Uh, this is a piece in the puzzle. And last but not least, uh, the piece of this puzzle who I haven't talked about at all this episode, who didn't play his best game. Uh, he did a lot more things watching it this morning on television that I loved th than I was noticing last night in the crowd, but that's part of just what you pick up live versus what you pick up watching and being able to just watch an individual player. But Rudy Gobert, who has been with the Jazz for a long time, who is probably the person that, not probably, he is the person that Jazz fans continually have to stick up for the most because of the narratives that surround him. Uh, regular season player, big dude who is valuable on defense in the regular season uh, and not as much in the playoffs. And there's truth to both of those things. Rudy Gobert himself has said that. You know, He says some of the things that uh, the haters say about me, yeah, they're true. I'm trying to get better at those things. That's part of what I love about Rudy Gobert. Candid dude and one who's just aware of, yes, I have flaws. And I'm trying to get better at those things. So he's playing a game last night that is not suited to his strengths. Uh, when Zubac is not playing in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, it's that small ball lineup that on paper is designed to give the Jazz fits. It's designed to attack Rudy Gobert playing drop coverage in the pick and roll and trying to hang around the basket. Uh, that style of lineup, it forces your hand. It says, you can't really afford to do that because we got five three-point shooters. We're going to get you in a pick and roll. And if you drop, we're just going to bomb threes on you day and night. And the Clippers are very comfortable doing that because they're one of the best three-point shooting teams for volume and efficiency in the NBA. Uh, and yet, even in the midst of this game, again, a game that it wasn't his best, but he gave a shit and he tried. That's part of the emotional tie-in. When you see that, when you sense that, that's a big boost uh, for a crowd, for a team. Because watching a person with flaws try and do their best, it's, it's a really cool experience. 
And we know Gobert's backstory, what he's come from. This gangly-ass dude from France who didn't really know how to play basketball, and he's built himself into an all-NBA-level defender, multiple defensive players of the year, great rebounder, uh, crashing the offensive glass, screen-and-roll man who can catch the lob. We know the story with Gobert. And the climax of the game, it comes down to this helter-skelter play. Jazz are up three. Mitchell takes a jumper that could put it on ice. He misses it. Clippers now have the ball. They have a timeout. They choose not to call it. Clock's going. It's dwindling down. They're down by three. And they pass to Kawhi. And they're scrambling around. And the Jazz are just giving all of that effort that you love. And the Clippers can't get a shot up. They can't get a shot up. Gets to Marcus Morris in the corner. And Rudy Gobert is the defender who closes out on him. And he jumps on the first thing. And a normal player, you probably would have shot at that point. Rudy Gobert is not a normal player because his wingspan stretches from me to the closest mountain. It's just this long arm of the law. So he jumps to the side and his arm's outstretched. So now Marcus Morris has to double clutch. And the clock is now getting close to zero. And so he doesn't have a choice. He's got to go back up and shoot. And Gobert is now in position and he's tall and he rises back up and he stuffs him. And you ride the emotional wave. Uh, People watching at home, I'm sure did. They're in the crowd. I I can assure you that everybody did. Uh, And you scream, get out. Get out of here. And everybody's pointing to the exit and Marcus Morris is walking off and Mike Conley's running out onto the floor. uh, and, And it's a moment. It's a moment for anybody who knows nothing about basketball. And it is even more so of a moment for people who follow this team. Because you understand that this block is not necessarily just a block uh, for Rudy Gobert. Uh, It's him against a small ball lineup. It's him on the perimeter. It's all the things that, hey, Rudy, you can't do those things. And, and, And I'm not saying that he can do them consistently. But for the most important play of the game, on a really incredible emotional night that... I'm not going to forget, uh, he steps up and he packs Marcus Morris and he gives the emotional climax to the very first game back in Vivint Smart Home Arena for a max capacity crowd uh, and he gives the Jazz a win in game one of their second round series and he feeds the fire of that belief that this is a championship level team And we're seeing that play out uh, in real time. Uh, And it's a really cool experience. And last night was all of that. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts, that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.